Side Hustle to Small Business is brought to you by Hiscox Insurance. Hiscox understands small business insurance isn't like other insurance. To learn more about how Hiscox Insurance can protect your business, go to Hiscox.com. Hiscox, encourage courage. Everybody knew that this was a problem. The executive director called a meeting to say, okay, let's all get together and figure out what we're going to do. And for whatever reason, the meeting was scheduled a couple months away. And so I decided, you know what? I know what the solution is. I'm not going to sit in a room full of social workers talking about technology. I'm just going to come to the meeting and say, okay, here's what we should be doing instead. So for the next couple months, I taught myself the programming languages needed for building a database. And I studied up on encryption and came up with a way that would allow the data to be stored offsite, but only ever be read within the organization's walls. And I built a database. Welcome to Side Hustle to Small Business. I'm Lou Casal. On this show, I talk with entrepreneurs who chased after a dream without any idea of how it would turn out. Let's face it, nothing great is achieved without risk. Do you have what it takes? Hi, everyone. When an entrepreneur sets out to solve a problem, they are often driven by something more than a desire to start a business. They're on a mission, a mission to help, to improve, to make things easier. They want to make a difference and have a positive impact on the way we live our lives. Today, you'll meet Stephen Jenkins, founder of Empowered DB. Stephen created a database for the unique needs of victim service organizations. I talk with Stephen about the problem he discovered and how he set out to solve it. Stephen, welcome to Side Hustle to Small Business. Great. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you on the show. You know, I, I mentioned in the introduction that a, a lot of businesses are created because the founder set out to solve a problem, and that's how your company came to exist. Now, you initially started out in tech, but then you transitioned into becoming an after-school teacher. Can you talk a little bit about your early career and, and why and how you made that transition? Yeah, sure. So I had done a few kind of things related to technology and multimedia for like about five years. It was entertaining enough, but I got to the point in my career where I wanted to take some time out to volunteer. I'd known someone a few years back who had experienced domestic violence and that was stuck with me a lot. So I'd always wanted to volunteer for a domestic violence shelter. So I went on Craigslist and I found one in my area looking for volunteers. I went in and I thought that they would just have me stuffing envelopes or something like that. And they asked instead if I wanted to volunteer for the after-school program and thought that sounded great to be, you know, hanging out with kids and trying to make a difference in their lives. So I started volunteering there on Monday afternoons, and it was by far the highlight of my week. So after a few months, they asked me if I wanted to be a full-time teacher there. And after thinking about it a lot, I realized that if Monday afternoons were the highlight of my week, then why wouldn't I want to make my entire week the highlight of my week? So I started working as a after-school teacher at that domestic violence shelter. You realized early on that the shelter was struggling with their database collection and, and reporting practices. Can you explain what that is and, and how that problem was affecting the overall operations of the shelter? Sure. So most shelters like these need to cobble together their funding from all kinds of different sources. So there's city grants, state grants, federal grants, private foundations, and individual donors. And they all need data. And they all need it like the same, but a little bit different. So it's a ton of data to collect and kind of really complicated to get everything to match together. And you can't just use any old database for 
tracking this kind of data. There's some major security risks when storing information on survivors of domestic violence. So, you know, if you put that data on the cloud and then whatever company you're using to store that data gets hacked or complies with a subpoena and hands over data to a government agency, you don't just get to send out like an apology email. Like these are life or death kind of situations that they're happening. So that makes it so the vast majority of databases out there are not really appropriate. So the organization I was working with was given a database by the state coalition that works with these types of places because they knew that this was a huge problem throughout the state. And they said, okay, here's the database you can use to solve all your problems. But it was terrible. And there was two staff people that I had a ton of respect for who basically had a large part of their jobs taken away. They were supposed to be helping survivors of domestic violence, and instead they were spending their time having to hound staff to get data to them and enter it into this like really weird database system. And at the end of the day, the organization still wasn't able to get the information they wanted for their reports. So it just seemed like a giant waste of time for these two people that I cared a lot about and wanted to be successful and serve survivors of domestic violence. So you decided at that point you were going to take a shot at solving the problem. So can you walk us through what you did to go out and solve that problem? Yeah, so everybody knew that this was a problem. The executive director called a meeting to say, okay, let's all get together and figure out what we're going to do. And for whatever reason, the meeting was scheduled a couple months away. And so I decided, you know what? I know what the solution is. I'm not going to sit in a room full of social workers talking about technology. I'm just going to come to the meeting and say, okay, here's what we should be doing instead. So for the next couple months, I taught myself the programming languages needed for building a database. And I studied up on encryption and came up with a way that would allow the data to be stored offsite, but only ever be read within the organization's walls. And I built a database. So then when it was time for that meeting, everybody showed up to the room and there I was with a projector and had it all set up. And I said, hello, we're doing something different than what's on the agenda. I'm just going to show you what we're going to end up using. I said, this is it. Here we go. So you crashed the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty entertaining. I'm sure it was also a little bit obnoxious, but no, it was fun. And I just felt like this is the only way that this can be possible. Here it is. What was the reaction from the leadership at the shelter? So the leadership was really hesitant. I'm sure everybody else in the meeting was kind of entertained because, you know, it was kind of an entertaining moment, but the leadership was definitely hesitant. The executive director in a previous position, she had very common situation where some staff person decided to make a database, it seemed fine enough, and then they disappeared. And now the organization is completely high and dry and can't manage this database. So I hear the story all the time now, and I totally get her concern and think it was pretty smart for her at the time to be hesitant. So the shelter was hesitant about going with your system at first. Why did they eventually make the decision to go with it? So as you can imagine, I was pretty persistent. <laughs> I think they also maybe realized that if they told me no, they'd not only be stuck with a really bad existing database, but now they'd have a really cranky after-school teacher. But I think mostly they knew that it just couldn't get any worse than what they already had. And I was showing them something that was basically ready to start day one. I think if I, I would have come to them and said, okay, here's my idea, I can build this and this, they would have said no immediately off the bat. But the fact that I had done the work ahead of time and said, okay, here it is, it's ready to go. You know, I need to just make a few more changes to it, but it's basically ready to go. Let's go. I think that made it a lot easier for them. So you're an after-school teacher, but I think it's accurate to say you actually went out and created an internal side hustle for yourself because I'm assuming you were continuing to improve and optimize the database you'd built. 
Can you talk about how you manage the responsibilities of those internal roles at the same time? I felt like it was actually pretty doable. And it was really helpful to be able to kind of, in my free time, be working on this database and then come back to the shelter and have the people who I was building the database for give me feedback. But it was definitely like a lot of late nights and basically taking up all my free time in order to build the system. The shelter was okay with paying me a little bit for this work, but it takes just, as you can imagine, a ton of effort to cobble together something like this. So they weren't willing to pay me for all that time. And I was very happy to do it and kind of had a feeling that this could end up being something that I could help other organizations with. So it was worth it to me. Eventually, the word gets out and other domestic violence shelters and and rape crisis centers found out about the system you had built an interest group. What happened next? Pretty much off the bat, there was a few smaller organizations in the state who were interested in using the system. So that kind of kept me encouraged and felt like I did have something and could keep building and spending my time doing that. So it was almost a year of just kind of only a few of these clients before I had one or two of the really big shelters, rape crisis centers across the state join on to using the system. And that was absolutely huge to kind of give me that legitimacy and the confidence I needed to keep on going. We'll be right back after a quick break. Side Hustle to Small Business is brought to you by Hiscox Insurance. Hiscox, the business insurance experts who tailor intelligent insurance solutions to fit each business's very specific needs. Get a quote or purchase a policy at hiscox.com. Hiscox, encourage courage. Welcome back. When we pick up with Stephen, other domestic violence shelters and rape crisis centers started to show an interest in using the database he had built. It was around this time when he realized it was time to turn a side hustle into a full-time business. When did you know it was time to transition from being just a side hustle into a full-time business? I think I did a pretty good job of you know, transitioning gradually from having a full-time job into the business. So I eventually stopped working in the after-school program and picked up two part-time IT support roles for the organization, same organization I was working with, and another one nonprofit down the road. So that kind of allowed me to really kind of step down with my hours and make that easy transition. And I think with the final realization came when I just knew that I wasn't happy doing the other work that I was doing. And even though I wasn't quite at the level yet of having a, you know, being able to survive off of my new business as a full-time job, I felt like it wasn't crazy enough to think that I could be there pretty soon. And it seemed like a safe enough risk to take to just drop my other work and focus full-time on the new business. As you sort of made that transition from a a side hustle to a full-time business, what were some of the early challenges you faced and, and how did you overcome them? So my biggest challenge was how to convince these organizations to trust this person who kind of came out of nowhere and had basically no track record or experience and to have them trust them with something as vital as confidential survivor data. I was not confident at all and would really awkwardly fumble through these demonstration meetings that I'd set up with people. But I just figured that whatever I lacked in confidence, I would do whatever I could to make up for it in the quality of the product. So I just kept plugging away at building system and adding as much as I could that I knew would impress people. Eventually, I would show up to these meetings and be able to show them and say, look, this funder report that used to spend days getting the numbers for, I just pressed the mouse once and there it was and it was all generated. And then it's a lot easier to be confident when you're in a room full of people who are excited about what you're showing them. On that note, you created a 
a system for a very specific type of organization. So just building on that, I'm curious about how you approached marketing and how your marketing strategy has changed from when you launched a business to today. Yeah, I would say that's one of the few things that hasn't changed. I've always felt like I wanted to focus on indirect marketing and letting word of mouth be what drives the marketing side of my business. It could just completely be a cop-out for me deciding that I was bad at direct marketing, but I just feel like I've had a lot of success in that. I've done a lot of speaking engagements and giving up advice to key players in the industry and and just feeling like what makes me special is not the wisdom that I have. It's the fact that I can create wisdom in the first place. So just by sharing my wisdom and being open with what I know, I think there's nothing but positives that can come from that. What are some of the lessons you've learned along the way, you know, when it comes to running your own business that may help other people out there who are listening and in the same situation? I think one of my biggest lessons that I've learned and has kind of impacted me lately is that I didn't spend enough time in the early days setting things up so that not so much of the business relied only on me. So as you're trying to expand, you're going to need other people. And if there's so many things that only you can do, then you can't expand. And it takes a lot of time, more time than I think we realize to restructure what you're doing so that other people can take off roles from you. And then the hiring of those other people is way more complicated than I thought. Like I had so many failures where I would do an interview with somebody. They would seem great. Oh yeah, they're saying all the right things. Let's hire them. And then not do my full due diligence and then end up with somebody who just was not the right fit. So I've definitely learned I've got to do all the things you're supposed to do with hiring, call references, give them tests, all those things. Hindsight is twenty twenty, obviously, but knowing what you know now, what would be your advice to someone who is about to leave a job and turn a side hustle into a full-time business? I feel like there's kind of two ways to go about starting a business. So either you're someone who really wants to start a business, so you find a problem to solve, or you're someone who really wants to solve a problem and you realize that the only way to do it is to start a business. So since I'm in the later group, I feel like I can really only give advice to those people. I feel like if you've really come across something that there's a certain group of people who are clamoring for it, then you don't have to be a business expert to start off with in order to be a success. You'll know what people want to hear and what they need. So you can just follow your instincts. Sure, you've got to do some planning and put plenty of work into it, but you don't have to have everything planned out. There's going to be plenty of time to learn along the way. So back to your system for a moment. As of today, how many shelters and centers use your database services? And I'm also curious about how the product has evolved over the years. So at this point, we have about 250 different domestic violence and rape crisis centers across the United States using the system. And we're starting to do a lot more than just keeping track of the demographics of the survivors that are being served by these programs. We're doing things like keeping track of their outcomes to kind of be able to show to funders that kind of progress that people coming through the program are making, doing a lot of work on keeping track of the outreach events and the work that the organizations do around prevention work, which is also really a key part of solving the issue of domestic violence and sexual assault. And we're starting to also focus on kind of the communication side of how do we connect survivors with the providers in a secure way and other ways beyond face-to-face meetings and telephone calls. So like web chats and video chats and things like that. You know, Stephen, when I think about what you've created, One word comes to mind, pride. 
The data problem you solved is giving time back to these social workers who work at the shelters. And that means they have more time to help people who really need help given what they've been through. How does that make you feel to know that you and the company you've built are making a difference? That's the key thing. And there's always challenging parts of running the business, but it's always great to have a reminder of that and to know that I'm making a difference in that way. And you know, I'm just not somebody who could be that direct service person who can sit down face-to-face with a survivor and help them. Like, it takes a really special kind of person for that. But just knowing that like, I can save so many different people time struggling with the database and let them take that time to, to serve the people in need, it kind of makes me feel like I am a direct service person and I am helping the people that have experienced this in their lives. So yeah, for me and my staff, it's just a huge, huge thing. And I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else after having this experience. Stephen, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show and, and sharing your story with us. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much for having me on. When I think about Stephen's story, I go back to the beginning. When he walked into that domestic violence shelter to volunteer, he knew someone who had experienced domestic violence and he simply wanted to help in some way. He had no idea that single decision to volunteer would change his life. At the same time, I think about how we define a small business. We look at things like the number of employees and revenue, but just think about how many small businesses are out there solving really big problems. And a lot of them do it behind the scenes. Their work doesn't make the headlines. If I'm talking about you and your business, you know who you are, and you probably don't hear it enough. So I'll end this episode by simply saying, thank you. That's our show for today. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate us, and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps new listeners find the show, and we greatly appreciate your support. If you know someone who has a great side hustle to small business story to share, drop us a line at hiscox.com slash side hustle to small business. Side hustle to small business is produced by Hiscox Insurance. I'm Lucas Al. It's time to stop listening and start hustling. This podcast is provided as general information only and is not intended to be business, insurance, or legal advice for any particular person or entity.